Well, this morning we're in the book of Habakkuk 2, and perhaps you've had an opportunity to see some of the introductory videos that we've been sending out before and after. Again, Monday and Tuesday of this coming week, we'll send out some follow-up videos from our staff that'll help to hopefully apply some of those passages. But I wanted to sort of set your mind to thinking about the, the context of Habakkuk chapter 2. And I want to ask the question, have you ever tried to help God out just a little bit when he wasn't moving quite as quickly as you knew that he needed to move? Well, I sure have, and with a success rate of zero, it's never, ever gone well. I've always made a smoldering crater, a mess of things. I remember a really hard conversation I needed to have with somebody, and I just wasn't clear, didn't have peace about it. I prayed about it, and I needed the Lord to do some things, and he was taking way too long. So I decided to just charge ahead in my own brilliance and take care of matters on my own. And it was a catastrophe, and I found out after the fact that the Lord had already been working, but in a different way that I did not expect. And so really, that's a lot of the message of the book of Habakkuk. In particular, in chapter 2, you might remember that Habakkuk has looked at the wickedness, the unrighteousness, the sin, and the rebellion of the southern kingdom, those two remaining tribes of Judah. And he said, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to tolerate this behavior from these, your people? And God said, oh, Habakkuk, I am doing something. I'm raising up Babylon, the Chaldeans. Things are about to get really hard, which actually leads us to our second big idea for the book of Habakkuk in our second chapter. The big idea goes like this. Trust God even when it's hard. This is what Habakkuk's going to have to do. This is what a lot of us are learning to do in this situation in which we find ourselves, a global pandemic. We must preach little sermons to our souls and be willing to trust God even when it's hard. Now, I'm going to ask Ashley Barrero to read our passage this morning, Habakkuk chapter 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tables, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. His death, like he is never, like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people merely labor for fire 
and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Thank you, Ashley. This is the word of the Lord to his people. So just as a quick reminder, the prophet Habakkuk is writing about 605 B.C., and he's asked God, why does all of this wickedness and unrighteousness and sin persist among your people? God says, I'm doing something about it. Not what you would expect. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Habakkuk complains again. How can you raise up something that's worse to judge something that is not quite as bad? God says, I have my ways. And so in Habakkuk chapter 2, he says, I will go to the watchtower and take my stand. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk says, I will have patience. I don't like the sound of that. I don't understand, but I will trust this God that he is active and that he is. So verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 2, and the Lord answered me. There is this conversation that is private between the Lord and Habakkuk that we get to have access to. We get to hear it. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. God wants this recorded. So we have to remember that this happens 2,600 years ago. It's not written to us, but it is written for our benefit. God wants this vision recorded so that Peoples for posterity can extract principles by which and on which they can live. The idea is I want you to take this vision that I'm going to respond to you, Habakkuk, and I want you to record it on baked clay tablets so that whoever reads it can run and give the message, can proclaim what Yahweh is doing. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Perhaps my least favorite verse in all the Bible. If it seems slow, I think it should say, give it a good swift kick and hurry it along. doesn't say that. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The issue is timing. And on my clock, in my world, everything should run according to my expectations because the sin of my heart is that I want to be God but I am woefully and dangerously unqualified for that job. God has a perfect perspective, living and seeing the eternal now. His timing is always flawless. He accomplishes precisely his will, perfectly on time, 
through the bad choices of billions of people. So wait for it. It will surely come. It will come to pass. Verse 4. Verse 4 is really sort of the hinge verse of the entire book of Habakkuk. Right here, the second half of Habakkuk 2.4 is really the key. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. This is exact, precise reference to King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire that has already begun one exile, taking off the, bre- the best and the brightest of the children of Israel, taking them off to Babylon into exile. There will be a total of three exiles that Nebuchadnezzar will do. The first happens in 605 BC, very possibly immediately after the writing of Habakkuk's letter. Probably guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken off in the very first exile, and Habakkuk is about to witness and observe that. This one, King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 4, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But then here's the contrast that God wants us to understand. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The Apostle Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 1 and in Galatians chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk 2.4 in that epistle to the church as well. More than likely, the better translation of that little expression goes like this. For by faith the righteous shall live. For by faith the righteous shall live. It's an important translation distinctive there. The one who is by faith righteous is the one that will live. No other form of righteousness will work. The one who is by faith righteous will live. And remember, as we discussed in the book of Romans, when Paul discusses this passage, what God demands of us, he gives to us freely in Christ. That's where the gospel comes along. The one who shall live by faith. Verse 5 God's going to pivot and talk about what's going to happen for those who are not deemed righteous by faith. Wine is a traitor. Wine was well known to be one of the uh, issues of the Babylonian Empire. They loved drunken debauchery. They were characterized by their excess and consumption of wine. Wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. This is what characterizes the Babylonian people that God is raising up. He's never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. This is the attitude and the heart set and the mindset of the nation of Babylon that God is going to raise up. Now, that's really interesting. And then from verses 5 through 20, we'll walk through this very briefly. God's going to give five woe statements to the Babylonians. This empire, this nation that he himself is energizing, raising up to be the judgment against his own people, he's going to issue five woe statements. Now that's really fascinating. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, Jesus will give five woe statements to the Pharisees. See, the problem with the Babylonians is that they were completely irreligious. They were strong in their own sight. They were pagan. They were hedonistic. But in Jesus' day, some 600 years after the writing of Habakkuk, Jesus comes to the very religious population and says, you are also not exhibiting righteousness that comes from faith. You are mindless and mechanical, trying to obtain and achieve righteousness on your own. And he gives them five woe statements. It's really tragic 
when the people who are supposed to be the nation of God to reflect and resemble his righteousness as a realm are themselves the recipients of the same kinds of five woe statements that God's going to give Babylon here in verses 6 through 20. He writes in verse 6, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. What God's going to describe is what we call teleonic punishment. Comeuppance. Babylon, what you have done to all the other people groups around you, they will rise up and mock you and do the exact same thing to you. You will get what you deserve in spades. Judgment will come. Even though I raised you up to judge my people, you will yourselves receive teleonic comeuppance judgment. Verse 7. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. It's violence that God detests. Babylon was an incredibly violent people and they did amazing amounts of violence and bloodshed. Verse 9, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest high, to be safe from the reach of harm. We have to understand, the city of Babylon itself was massive, covering over 200 square miles. It's the size of modern-day Chicago. I had three sets of walls that were each over 300 feet high, over 100 brass gates and 250 watchtowers. They thought themselves completely impregnable, like nobody could ever take them over. They were haughty, arrogant, and proud. But what we'll find out is in a single night, everything falls to ruin for them. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. Because you did not care for those around you, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. You see, the Lord sees everything. Nothing escapes his watchful eye. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. This is future history. The entire world will be covered with my glory. Even though right now, Babylon, it looks like you're winning, you're not. You're pragmatic. You think whatever has been working will continue to work. It will not. God has merely been using you for his purpose, which begs the immediate question. Perhaps you in your own life, things are going well, but you're godless functionally. Be warned from the pages of Habakkuk that God might be allowing that to perhaps judge somebody else, perhaps to call attention of his glory in somebody else, but your prosperity will not last so long as it is godless. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision, your shame. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. It will happen back to you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, 
to cities and all who dwell in them. God cares about how his creation is treated. And all of that judgment will come around to the perpetrator. Verse 18, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him, the final woe, who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. The five woes that are concluded with this massive statement in verse 20. Again, God is no hero, God is no angel. This is not the language of an angel or a hero. This is the language of a sovereign God. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That verse is a contrast to the preceding two verses where people were making their own idols and covering them with gold and silver saying, Arise, awake, O little G God, arise. God says, Shh, be silent, hush. I am that I am. I am God and I am in my temple. You do not need to call for me to arise or to awaken. I am awake. I do not sleep. I am sovereign. I am in my temple. Be quiet. So God says, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians for justice against my own people, but they themselves will experience judgment. Interestingly, this happens, we believe, in about 605 is when Habakkuk writes this letter. But 65-ish years later, in October of 539 B.C., hmm, the Medes and the Persians cleverly, they stop up the Euphrates River, which had been diverted to flow into the city of Babylon. They stop up the river, and where that land is now exposed under the walls, the Medes and the Persians, well, they simply sneak in through these powerful fortified walls. They sneak in, and in a single night, they devastate and destroy the Babylonian Empire. We hear about it in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is already in Babylon at this time. Daniel chapter 5, there is a drunken feast for over a thousand people. And the text is very clear that they are eating and drinking wine from the vessels that the Babylonians stole from the temple in Jerusalem. When suddenly they hear this horrific sound and this giant hand comes up out of the ground and it writes on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin, which means measured, measured found wanting. Babylon, I have seen all that you have done. I have seen all that you have tried to accomplish, and it does not equal a thimble full of righteousness. Incidentally, as a side note, when you say to someone, hey, the writing's on the wall, be careful. The last time that happened, everybody in the room died. So you might want to pick a new idiom, just saying. Wine has betrayed them, the Babylonian empire, in a single night albeit 65, 66 years later, is utterly devastated. That's past history. But we also know that there's future history in the mind of God equally certain. Revelation 16 through 19 talks about future Babylon. All the system of worldliness and Christlessness will be judged just as surely as Babylon was judged in October of 539 B.C., Sometime in the future, it will be judged. Wait for it. Though it seems like it lingers, it will surely come. 
So how do we apply such a rich passage like Habakkuk chapter 2? Let me just give you three very quick implications, three very quick principles. They go like this. Number one, the virtuous life is the only one that works. I shamelessly steal this from one of my heroes in the faith, one of my uh, people that I used to read so much, Dallas Willard. The virtuous life is the only life that works. Again, most of us, candidly, are pragmatists. We just want to do that which has worked in the past to achieve pleasure and peace. But God's word says, no, the virtuous life is actually the only life that works. He who is by faith righteous shall live. No other attempt will work. The irreligious shall not live. That's my watch. The uber-religious who are godless will also not live. No, it is that one who is righteous by faith. He shall live. It is the only life that actually works. So we want to surrender our pragmatism and we want to align and architect our lives around God's word. Secondly, God's word cannot fail. This is why God tells Habakkuk, write this on clay tablets so that the one who reads it can run, can live his life steadfastly upon it and can distribute it with confidence to everyone else. God's word cannot fail. We must understand that the second member of the Godhead Trinity is called the living word. And so if God's word fails, then it is tantamount to the ungodding of God. And by definition, that cannot happen. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to remind you, whatever is in the pages of Scripture, it cannot fail. It shall come to pass. Wait for it. It shall not linger. Which brings up the third point for application. It very simply goes like this. God wins. Despite how everything else might look, that Babylon has risen, the king Jehoiakim is deposed, all of those things, no matter how it might look, God wins. In the eternal now view of God, it will certainly come to pass. See, about this same exact time, Daniel and his friends are in Babylon. And we find out that in Daniel chapter 3, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, oh, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are their Babylonian names, but their Hebrew names of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they are in Babylon, and they refuse to bow down to the painted, golden, metallic idol that King Nebuchadnezzar makes. And as you recall, King Nebuchadnezzar throws them in a fiery furnace, and they say, O king, our God is able to save and deliver, but even if he does not, we will not bow. And you remember the story, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and he sees one as though a son of God standing with them, entering into their judgment, getting, in a sense, what they deserve and they are unharmed, which is a precursor for our lives here today. This is the gospel because you see, you and I enter into this life as citizens of Babylon, it's all we are. It's all we care about is our own peace and prosperity. All we care is about our own blessing and bounty. We are citizens of Babylon. But there is nothing but judgment in the past and in the future for Babylon. Instead, the Son of Man comes. He becomes flesh. And he receives undeservingly all of the judgment of Babylon in my place. And he transfers my passport, as it were, from a Babylonian one to the bright, shiny gold one of the kingdom of heaven. 
I am a Babylonian. And yet Christ has said, no, you're mine. This word cannot fail. And the message is trust God, even when it's hard, no shortcuts. Trust God, even when it's hard, it will not fail. 